So I've heard it said that summertime church in Boulder runs up against a lot of competition called the Rocky Mountains that beckon unto the membership to go and spend time there. And that's a beautiful thing to do. And one of the nice things about online is even if you're away, you can still tune in. But uh, it's good to see as many here today as there are, and it's good to literally see your faces today instead of your masks. Uh, it's uh, on, on that issue of, of folks being away, I just want you to know I'm doing my best to try to keep the uh, attendance numbers up. As you see, we, we parade in different numbers of people with us each week. So this week, I'm glad that Alicia's here, and we weren't expecting her because we made a mistake on our calendars thinking that her event was this, this weekend, but in fact, it's actually next weekend she'll be in Campion. So I'm pleased that she's able to be here today. And then Aaron is still with us. He's our third son. Of course, Gable's here a lot. Ariel is with us for the summer, and that's good. But I have two other guests with us today that if we're really nice to them, maybe they will think about being members here. And, and let me tell you how that works. So it's my mom and dad. My mom and dad are here. They're over here sitting by Mark Johnson. And uh, they've been living in Virginia near my sister and brother-in-law, who also happened to have a place out here in Colorado. And when we moved out here, they got to thinking in their minds, well, I don't know, let's, let's put our house on the market, see if anyone would buy it. If they would, we'll go out to Colorado, we'll live out there, then they'll be around us for all of the year and still be around my sister and brother-in-law half the year because they go back and forth. So they put their house kind of speculatively on the market uh, on a Friday, and by the next Friday, they had a buyer. So don't play around with house sales these days, they go quickly. So they came out here homeless, technically, and uh, looked around and uh, in a day found a place in Loveland and uh, made an offer on it, and their offer was accepted. So at some point within the next month-ish, they will be moving out here to the Loveland area and uh, will be joining us from time to time. So I'm very pleased about that and very glad to have them here. So on the, on the whole issue of uh, of being back and having masks and the whole thing. Uh, it, have, you ever, have you ever been the person in a leadership role where you have to make decisions and rules for a group? Because on the one hand, we would say it's ridiculous. Last week we sat in here with masks on like it's dangerous, and this year, week we're walking around like there's nothing going on. Well, yeah, that's how it always goes because you have to make a plan for the time you're in and then things change, and then you change your plan. And sometimes it can look kind of funny and, and the whole thing. Um, you know, so don't be uh, under the illusion that anyone had some sort of negative desire that everyone would, that somehow it's a power trip to see people do one thing or do another thing. It's not that at all. It's always been an attempt to make the best choice we could at the time in line with the state, in line with the county, and in line with best practices on how we could be safe. So it's not like last week danger was worse than this week or something like that. That's not how reality works, but, but we have to make choices and decisions. So, so don't get it in your head now that because we quit wearing our masks, suddenly we're all perfectly safe. That's not exactly right. And, and the truth is, uh, 
how many of you didn't get flu this time? You know, there, there was no flu this year. That, that was awesome. Turns out there was no flu because we were all avoiding something else. Yeah, we may get flu next year now that we're back to something else. But, but as we adapt to these realities, uh, I appreciate your patience and your cooperation. I like the way that the, the membership has cooperated, even though it's been frustrated at times, uh, at the pace of things and the pace of change. And it's nice to be back like this. But again, that whole issue on, on people who are not vaccinated wearing masks, it's not because they're endangering vaccinated people. It's really for their own sake that they don't endanger one another. And, and I know... Uh, Mark is choosing to continue to wear a mask, not because he's not vaccinated, but because he has someone in his home vulnerable. So we have to continue as we go along to make good decisions, do what we think is best for, for our families and for ourselves. Uh, but I think this is a great step, and I'm glad we've been able to take it, and I appreciate uh, our committee that's worked so hard on this each step of the way. So good job, everybody, and it's good to be at the place we are, and uh, we pray for the Lord's blessing in this next season as we go forward, uh, that by his grace he'll continue to spare us from, from the pestilence that stalks, is it at midday? When does the pestilence come? Something like that. Psalm 91, if you want to look it up. But that's, uh, we actually talked about that a little bit last night, how how we read some of those things and we think, ah, oh, pestilence, that was from another time. No, no, it's still, still out there. So we are dependent on the Lord uh, in every era. So, all right, let's pray and let's jump into the text here. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day, for this place, for this opportunity to open your word. And we pray, Lord, that uh, your spirit will be here and bless us as we reflect on these words. Speak to our hearts. This is something we need to have very close. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple other things I thought of. One is, of course, we're, Pastor Jay is gone today, and I appreciate all those that came in and did so many of the tasks that he's been doing uh, to get us going here. And uh, so, so our goal today is to get smoothly through this whole service without Pastor Jay here to help us. So that's, uh, I think we're going to make it. We're off to a good start. As long as, as long as I can get through the sermon here, I think we'll be good. But he's joining us online. So hi, Jay, whichever camera we're on. Good to see you. Glad you're, you're joining us. And uh, I sure have appreciated uh, his hard work throughout this time to keep all these different things going. All right. We are still today... In John chapter 6, now we've been here for a little while, and you may be wondering, are we ever going to get out of this chapter? Well, yes, today is the last day in John 6, but there's just so much material here that we need to deal with. The first part of it was when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and the, and the miraculous uh, events that take place in the context of that event and the impact it has on people, and we talked about in the context of that initially, how a generous act, blessed by God, provides abundance. Now, exactly how the whole thing plays out, the Bible doesn't, doesn't go into detail, but we do know that someone was generous with a little bit, and that initiated a process 
And we talked about that in terms of giving and in terms of participation in the life of the church. Sometimes we think my little bit isn't going to make a difference. But we're not taking this story into account when we think about that because, because the smallest gift blessed by God becomes abundance. So I want to encourage you to, to remember that and stay faithful with your tithes and your offerings uh, because it's important for us as a community to build together and to give together and share. So we talked about that a few weeks ago. Then we came back to this and we focused for two weeks on the idea of Jesus, what are you doing? Because in this chapter, he does what we would consider numerous counterintuitive things. It's like he's not working for the cause we think he should be working for. So here he is at the end of feeding the 5,000. It says they were so pleased, they wanted to take him by force and make him king. Well, wasn't that the whole point, that Jesus would come to be the king? But Jesus knows that what they want from him is not really what he came to do. So he sends the crowd away. And they're disappointed, and the disciples are disappointed, and asking themselves, Jesus, what are you doing? This was your big chance. But the truth is, really, it's just a replay of the temptation that the devil gives Jesus in the wilderness. When the devil says, you know what, I'll give it all to you. Just bow down and worship me. Just do it the way I think you should do it. Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm here to do. The people come to him and they say, be our king. You can make food for us. You can heal us when we're sick. If we're killed, you can resurrect us. We'll dominate the world. It'll be amazing. And Jesus says, no, that's not how my kingdom works. I can't be king like that. So he tells them no. And the disciples go out on the water and the storm comes. Jesus allows the storm. Maybe you were here. I read that uh, that portion from the Desire of Ages that said their minds were stormy. And in order to, I, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially what it says is in order to keep them from stewing on the negativity they had going on in their minds, God allowed another storm to come into their life in order to take away their attention from the negative cycles that their minds are on even suggesting that sometimes this is a strategy God uses in our lives, that if we allow ourselves to stay in negative cycles, it's better for us to break out of them in a reality when we can know our dependence on Jesus. The disciples felt that in the boat. Jesus joins them. So again, what are you doing, Jesus? He sends away the crowd. What are you doing, Jesus? You're allowing storms in my life. And then we dealt with the last part where Jesus has an interaction with the Jews. And, and it's not just the ones that are usually against him. It was also the ones who were followers. They're even referred to as disciples. It's not the 12, but it's others that were followers. And they go through a long discussion where Jesus says something they don't understand. And when they question him, instead of simply fixing their misunderstanding, he doesn't do that. He makes it worse. He keeps saying more and more and more and more offensive things until it says at the end, a large number of his disciples went away and no longer followed him. And he turned to the 12 and he said, will you also go? And they said, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of life. And we talked about how sometimes we don't understand. We just don't know what Jesus is saying. We just don't know what he's doing. 
but our connection to him has got to be stronger than our understanding of what's taking place. We have to be connected to him because he is the son of God, because he is the one God has sent. And that was the passage at the beginning of what Jesus says that we keyed on, where he said, they say, tell us what are the works of God? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, to believe in the one he has sent. It sounds simple, but it is the most profound and at times the most difficult thing we could ever do is to believe in the one that God sent. So we've wrestled with all of that, but I I felt like we needed to spend one more week here because what Jesus says in this passage is incredibly profound, even though they're not able to understand it. And I want to go over it one more time because we are blessed to be able to understand it because we have context and explanation and setting that allows us to know what Jesus was saying as opposed to those in that day who were confronted with what he said in that moment. They didn't have that context. Now, maybe sometimes you think, wow, I sure wish I lived in the days of Jesus. It would be so much easier to follow him if I could see him. I'd like to suggest maybe don't be so sure about that. Because Jesus came with a radical message that was out of context to what the people expected. And whenever you get, or whenever I get, a message that's out of context from what we expect, it's very hard to believe. And they had a hard time believing. That's why Jesus said, this is the great work you must do. Believe in the one the Father has sent. So we're advantaged on this story. Let's go back and look at it, and I will show you what I mean by that. So John chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 25. When they found him, when they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. We talked about this briefly last last Sabbath. So, So Jesus had done a good work, but he says, you're not seeking me because of the sign, you're seeking me because of the bread. He says, you're caught in a physical reality, and I'm trying to teach you something bigger. This is an important concept, and we gotta keep it in our mind as we work through here. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So this was our key last Sabbath. This is what we talked about. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
Okay, a couple things here. So Jesus is trying to use the symbol of bread, which is a staple uh, of the people's diet at the time and often for us as well, to illustrate what God has provided in Jesus. And he's touching on the story of the manna in the wilderness. So when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they were given manna. They went out each morning and collected it. This was called the bread from heaven, the provision that God's people would would have everything they needed in order to survive. Jesus is saying, that was just an illustration of what I am, what Jesus is spiritually. Now, it's an interesting concept because Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. This idea of of the body and the blood of Jesus somehow being related to, to food in a way that we're supposed to receive is not foreign to us, is it? In fact, we have a little service that we do traditionally once every quarter of the year. Now, with COVID, it hasn't been that way for a little while. And we were just talking this last week about when can we have this service again and how will we go about that? Because in the early days, we were worried about contact and how we might transfer uh, COVID and these different things to each other. So we kind of quit doing this service. But does anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? What do we call it? Communion. We call it communion. And in that service, we go back to a, to a story. Matthew chapter 26. Now here's the thing. The story in Matthew chapter 26 is back for us in the same way that this conversation of Jesus is back for us. But when Jesus is having this conversation on the shore of the Sea of Galilee... This next thing that I'm about to read you hasn't happened yet. So they're not going to be able to understand it as well. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we know this. This is familiar to us. And this is why I say we are advantaged in understanding what Jesus is saying, because we have this context that Jesus would give us that we practice four times a year, this spiritual experience of receiving something physical and recognizing that, in fact, it represents a spiritual experience within us. Typically, what we read uh, when we have the service is from 1 Corinthians 11, and it's these words. They'll be familiar to you. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we come to this conversation with the knowledge that symbolically the body and the blood of Jesus represents what he gave to us when he died for our sins. And we are to receive that grace and that forgiveness. So to us, it's not a foreign idea that the body and the blood of Jesus is the food and the drink that we need. But, but there's another point here that I want to bring out. And you see it in verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So this provision that Jesus has made is an all-sufficient provision. When you receive it, you will no longer be hungry. And when, when, and when you receive the cup, you will no longer thirst. Now, just right off the top, how many of you can state from your life experience and evidence, he clearly is not speaking a literal reality here. Do you still get hungry? Yeah. You still get thirsty? Yeah. So obviously, the point he's making here is something else. And, and he gives us, he tells us about it. Uh, we look back at verse 26. Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the sign, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life. Work for the food that endures. What is the work that God calls us to do? Believe in the one he has sent. Work harder to believe in Jesus than you do to put food on your table. Do you see that? That's what he's saying. Work harder to believe than you do to put food on the table. Because the food on the table spoils. One of the things we're learning now that we're here is we, they collect compostables. That's a new thing for us. How much food do you dump in there? That's the food that spoils. Work hard for the food that doesn't spoil. Why? Because Jesus satisfies at that soul spirit level. We see this happen. We, we talked about it in John chapter 4. This same language takes place when Jesus is speaking with the woman of Samaria. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? You see, it's the same encounter. She's literal, he's talking spiritual. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up unto eternal life. Now, John 7, we're going to encounter this idea again. We'll, we'll talk about this uh, in the weeks ahead. But in John 7, verses 37 and 38, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. Now, how many of you believe he's literally talking about you're going to become a fountain where literal water is going to flow from you? No, that's just weird. 
But he is saying something very important. And it has to do with the Holy Spirit. And it has to do what happens to us when we work, when we do that work that God has commanded us, to work to believe, to receive, to receive that Holy Spirit. And then that life will flow out of us. So we'll talk about that more as we go on. But let's get back to here, to John 6, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. Remember what I said a minute ago? Sometimes we think it would be so much easier if we had been in Jesus' day. No. Every era has its challenge. And we don't have to take on their challenge, but we do have to take on the challenge in our day to believe in our time. Even those who laid eyes on Jesus had trouble believing. Verse 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Interesting words. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Why is that? Well, let's go back to John 1 for just a second here. John chapter 1, and this is the testimony of John the Baptist. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this is, this is sacrifice language. This is Passover language. And a big part of the whole reality of Passover, as you recall, was they sacrificed the Lamb and then you ate the food of the Lamb. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. It's the great purpose of the book of John is that you would believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's why the book is written. And John points him out for the first time. This is the one. God told me, this is the one. Look at him. Learn from him. Follow him. But we know also from that first chapter, it says, he came to his own, but his own received him not. Because they didn't recognize. But to those who believed, all that God called, he became the source of life. So let's go back to John 6, verse 38. Jesus again says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose, catch this language, none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up 
at the last day. It's my Father's will that all who do the work of God by believing in Jesus, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Are you starting to understand what eternal life means here? Because that's what we're getting at today. That's our title for today. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me, catch these words, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. Do you see the Father's direct involvement in everyone who believes? So Jesus is claiming, you come to him and believe because the Father draws you and you make yourself available to be drawn. You open your heart to the Holy Spirit and you are brought to Jesus. It's interesting language and an interesting choice that Jesus makes to make a quote here. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Well, if you have a, uh, a good marginal reference in your Bible, you will immediately see that that is a reference to Isaiah chapter 54, verse 13. Now, let me give you a little context for that. This is, of course, Isaiah the prophet writing before the time of the Babylonian exile, in a time where Israel has really gone astray and the northern kingdom ends up being destroyed, and the southern kingdom is headed for its own destruction. But chapter 54 comes right after chapter 53. In chapter 53, Isaiah 53 is that very famous chapter that describes the experience of Jesus, how he dies for our sins, how, how with his stripes we are healed. And the very next chapter that comes along is chapter 54. And chapter 54 starts with the words, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. The, the context of chapter 54 is a reversal, a restoration, a giving back. And what's being described here is what God is going to do after the captivity in Babylon. He's going to bring them back and then he's going to bless them. You have a passage over here, uh, verse five, that says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. And it talks about how God will call you back and you work through this chapter until you finally arrive at chapter 13, at verse 13, and it says, all your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. This is what Jesus quotes. And by doing so, 
puts himself in the context of chapters 53 and 54 and all of this in the context of the suffering servant and in the context of the restoration that is to come. And he says, they will all be taught by God. Stop grumbling among yourselves, verse 43. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last days. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learn from him comes to me. Let me give you another text on this. Matthew chapter 16. It's a story you probably know pretty well. This is the story of when Jesus is with his disciples. And well, I'll just read it here. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, and here it is, here's the phrase that matters. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. If you go to the end of the book of John, what he'll say at the end of the book is, all these things are written that you might believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now here's Peter saying it. Now listen to Jesus' response. This is amazing. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now I want to just stop right there for a second. Because I think this is an incredibly important understanding. Again, sometimes we think, if only I could have lived in Jesus' day and walked with him, it would be so much easier to believe, right? But Jesus is telling Peter, despite the fact that you have been with me for, I don't know, at this point, two years, maybe three, I don't know, you've come to believe, but it's not because you've been with me. You see what he said? He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this. It's not because someone told you. It's not because you saw it. Instead, what is the reason? He says, this is not revealed by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Even the disciples themselves had to come believe the exact same way we do. Conviction through the Holy Spirit from God. And this is why it's so important, the encounter that takes place between Jesus and Thomas at the end where he says, here, put your hand here, do this. Okay, blessed are you because you've seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's us. Verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What is the rock? The rock is the conviction that comes into the heart of every believer sent by God through the Holy Spirit that this man Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of God. Good teacher, yeah, he was a great teacher. But that's not his core identity. Moral man, yeah, great moral man. But that's not the core identity. Your Christian when your deepest conviction is that Jesus literally is the Son of God and the Messiah of prophecy. That's what makes us Christian. 
We go back to John 6, verse 46. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So how did Jesus give his flesh for the life of the world? Well, a good description of it is in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, maybe you never thought about it in that context. That you are reckoned perfect through Christ long before you are made holy. Do you see where your life comes from? Do you see where eternal life rests? This was a hard word, John 6, 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last days. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So I want to say a word about spiritual nutrition. What are you feeding on? Let's use an example from real nutrition. One of the interesting things about being in Boulder is how many people care about fitness and food. And uh, it's really been quite a boon for Alicia who has a struggle with dairy and has a struggle with gluten. Not a problem here. Not so easy in the South. 
So everything's got butter and biscuits and everything else in it. But what you ingest is what you are, right? You've heard this simple saying, you are what you eat. And if you continually fill yourself with junk, you're not healthy. The same is absolutely true for your spiritual reality. And the call here from Jesus is this whole, what is the work he's given us to believe on the one that God sent? And how do we do that? We, well, we have to arrange our lives intentionally to where we're seeking knowledge about God. And that's what this book is for. That's why we have a worship service and gather here. That's, that's what we've got to lay hold of. And, and we've got to desire that and lay hold of that more than we do other things from the world. Now, I'm not saying that, that you can't participate in life. Obviously, that's not true. But what I am saying is, is work harder on your faith than you do for your food. John 6, verse 47. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. They didn't understand it when Jesus said that. That whole interaction was really hard for them. But we're advantaged because we know what Jesus meant. He meant he was going to go to the cross for us. He was going to die for our sins. On the third day, he would rise again. He would take his place at the right hand of God until, as the scripture says, until I make your enemies your footstool. And we are his people on the earth. We are his body on the earth at this time. We represent his purpose. We are his kingdom. And we belong to it through faith by believing in who Jesus is. And eternal life is not something we're given because we got everything right. Eternal life is given to us because our faith is in the one who died for our sins. In Jesus' prayer, John 17, verse 3, he says this, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life? Eternal life is to know God. And as soon as we are living in that reality, we have entered that kingdom reality, that eternal life reality. It's not to say our life might not get a pause in it. But the question about the eternal life is no longer out there. Yes, yes, we lived it for the days we were given here, but for the age to come, it's already there. 
We are already living the first years of our eternal reality. Now, there may be a break. This life may end, but the life to come will not. What is the work that God has given us? To believe in the one that he sent. And what is the result of belief? We know God and his son, Jesus Christ. And what comes when that's true? Eternal life. It's simple. It's also hard. Keep your faith in Jesus. Keep your eyes off of everything else. Do that work that God requires.